This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Not bad, Al. The sad news notwithstanding. Yes, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Brian just gave uh, dropped a, a bombshell on us just before uh, starting to record here. Uh, also joining us today, uh, back on the show, Jason uh, McVeigh, our sort of UK correspondent. A big uh, week for UK wrestling with All In coming to Wembley Stadium, um, so we wanted to have uh, Jason a uh, part of the show. How's it going, Jason? Not so bad. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Uh, later on, on, on the topic of All In, um, we're going to have an audio uh, interview that you guys uh, should absolutely check out with one of the people headlining All In, uh, AEW uh, challenger, challenging for the world uh, title, uh, Adam Cole. Uh, I got to talk to uh, for a few minutes earlier this week, looking ahead to the big show. And uh, talked about what it's like to to headline potentially uh, the in front of the largest paid crowd in uh, wrestling history. Uh, his thoughts on working with uh, MJF and and also uh, working alongside CM Punk. Uh, you know what their relationship is. Uh, also talking a bit about leaving WWE. The rumors of whether he was going to uh, be demoted to a manager. He addressed it all. Uh, something we've talked about, Brian. His body, his conditioning. Uh, how, how much, uh, how insecure or, or or not is he about that? Um, so we touched on it all. Stay tuned. Uh, check it out, Brian. I think you're uh, muted. Uh, so just want to make sure. There you go. Great. Um, uh, and we'll get to that in uh, a moment. We are going to be talking all things all in. That was the plan. But as I touched on just before um, we started recording here, we learned of the passing of uh, Terry Funk, one of the real giants of the, the wrestling business. So uh, we'll absolutely be uh, discussing that in, in just a moment. Uh, stories don't get much bigger than that. Um, but right out, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's got, of all people, Matt Cardona and Steph DeLander on the cover. Who saw that coming? Um, a hot seat interview uh, conducted by our own Kevin uh, McElvaney. Um, also in this issue, the PWI poll uh, that, that I helped put together with uh, Kristen Ashley uh, every year. I got to tell you, and just having wrapped up our work on the PWI 500, the PWI poll is low-key, um, you know, maybe the heaviest lift, lift of the year uh, for me. It really is uh, a lot of work, so I'm happy to, to see it. Uh, you know, it's a one time a year with PWI that I'm working with like Excel and percentages and spreadsheets and pie charts and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a fun read, uh, 50 questions that we posed completely legit to, uh, readers, uh, wrestling industry people, you know, some workers, some referees, some writers, and, uh, a, a lot of fun. You want to check it all out. Uh, so head on over to pwi-online.com. Lots more in this issue. Uh, a real fun one. You don't want to miss it. Uh, again, pwi-online.com. And as I just mentioned, uh, I know I just wrapped up my PWI 500 uh, work. Before we got on, I was talking to Jason. Jason still has some work to do. How are you, Brian? Brian, you're always ahead of the game. So I'm guessing you've been done for like a month. Oh, it's all it's all in the bag. <laughs> yeah, it's done. 
it's been yeah. done. Well, the, because I have so many of these other things yeah. hanging over my head that I'm, I'm motivated to work quickly, you know? Yeah, yeah. I finally got uh, <laughs> it done. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, other competing priorities, but but was able to, to finish it off. Well, I only had 25 uh, this year. I usually I did have, too. Uh, 50, yeah. so, you know. Right, yeah. I had 25, but I had the top 10. Um, so, so each of those are, can, can be kind of time consuming. And then, uh, also my, my take, which was fun. You know, I think we talked about it last time. My take was really about how difficult it was to get to number one, uh, this year. You know, I think we were, uh, an hour in and didn't have a single name on, on this list. Uh, and I don't remember, I was telling Jason before we started recording how, you know, back in the day I would, I would drive to, uh, PWI offices and, and we'd sit down and we'd hammer this thing out largely. I mean, a couple hundred in a few hours uh, here, you know, we were more than an hour in and we didn't have a single name on the list because I don't remember ever having such a hard time with number one. Yeah. And it worked out very interestingly in the end, I'm not giving anything away, but uh, you know, and what, uh, what we wound up with, I think people will be very fascinated to see how it all shook out. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think uh, it's hardly defensible. <laughs> yes. I just think tell so. them it, it was, it was Dean Malenko. We went with Dean Malenko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Back. Two Absolutely. Time, number one. Um, anyhow, that's coming up. Uh, we're still finishing that issue, uh, but but tons here for you uh, to, to check out. So again, head on over to pwi-online.com. Check it out. If um, you, you subscribe, you'll get a deep savings of the uh, cover price. We now have these combo packages where you could get both the digital edition and the print edition. Um, it's the way to go. Uh, so you could get the digital edition, you know, well before the, the magazine uh, drops and then um, you could have the magazine in your mailbox. So again, head on over to pwi-online.com and check it out. Uh, guys, let's talk about uh, uh, Terry Funk. I mean, I'm just learning um, this news. You know, um, I don't I don't even know what to say. I mean, I know he had been in, in poor health um, for, for some time. So I would, I guess, not completely uh, unexpected, but but a huge, huge loss, Brian. I mean, you're, you're sort of our resident historian. I mean, can you begin to put into uh, uh, context uh, at the perspective, Terry Funk's uh, legacy, his his role in the wrestling business. It's it's going to take time for people to digest and and perspective and things. I mean, he'd been sick for a while, so he was one of those people that where I know a lot of us had been already in our mind, kind of summing up or or thinking about what his legacy was, and kind of you know the the gut response that I had and that I posted right before we got on here. The first thing that popped into my head was just. You know, when, when you talk about who's the greatest of all time or, you know, or how do you define that? Or there's so many variables in wrestling. It's almost impossible. It's like a pointless exercise. I never even get pulled into those discussions if I could help it. You know, who's how do you even calculate it? And, you know, even though I can't, it's one of those things. It's like when they say, how do you know a great art? Right. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. Like, I can't tell you, but I know what it is. To me, Terry Funk is somebody that I can't define what it means to be the greatest of all time, but I can say that I think it's very possible that it was him. I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, somebody who... You're number one? I, I think you could make a very serious case for it. Somebody yeah. that could do everything and anything that could adapt himself and readapt himself. Somebody who, who wrestled for 40 years and constantly redefined himself and made himself relevant I mean, he won, he became the heavyweight champion of the world in the 70s, okay, when when most of us either weren't even born or were babies, 
And and that was almost like, like literally he hadn't even gotten warmed up yet as far as his career goes. You know, it's almost like there's a lot of people today who love Terry Funk, who worship things that he did, and he's one of their favorite wrestlers. And they may not even know that he was the heavyweight champion of the world, you know, the NWA champion. That's how much of a just just getting started thing it was, you know, to go to the WWF. I mean, he was a part of the national expansion. He was right there wrestling. That's where I first saw him. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Growing up in, in, you know, kind of WWF territory, my my first – uh, exposure to him was kind of a little more cartoonish, but even in <laughs> in that cartoonish atmosphere or of WWF, he brought a legitimacy. And I, re- you know, I I think kind of along the lines of what you're saying, it's hard to even at a young age. Um, I remember he was um, a, a lot more legit, a lot less cartoonish, even with Jimmy Hart in the corner and and the brand and iron and you know JYD pulling Jimmy's pants down and all that stuff. He was like serious business. I remember spitting the tobacco. I remember uh, him beating the crap out of uh, Mel Phillips for for yes. uh, putting his hat on. Uh, it, and this was like serious stuff on a not so serious product. Uh, but that that was always Terry Funk. He was always kind of a, ahead of the game. And I know he he didn't last there long because of that. Because he you know he wasn't the the biggest fan of of what wrestling was becoming. You know, but again, it's to his credit that he always found a way to try to fit in. And you got him, he's wrestling Hulk Hogan, right, in the mid-'80s for the WWF world title. And a couple of years later, now he's wrestling Ric Flair for the NWA, the WCW world title. You know, inserting himself there again, just when you think his career is done by that point. What a laughable thought. It's 1989, you know. And he always, when I say possible greatest of all time there, I'm talking about as a performer, whatever it means to be a great wrestling performer. Um, yes, there were bigger stars than Terry Funk, certainly. But at his level of a main event star and of the type of performer, when you talk about the look, the promos, the believability, the work in the ring, being able to adapt to any style, making you believe, making you invested as a viewer. I mean, when people ask me, like, what's the greatest thing you've ever seen in wrestling? I, my opinion may vary from day to day, but a lot of times my answer of the best thing I've ever seen in wrestling is the empty arena match between Ric Flair, uh, between Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler in the Mid-South mm-hmm. Coliseum. I saw that when I was a teenager after the fact, but in the tape trading days. And I mean, that was like a head exploding moment for me, a kid that grew up on the WWF. You know, it's one of those things where you, you go, it's one of those moments where you're like, is yeah. this is this stuff real? I don't understand. Maybe the WWF stuff isn't real. You know, you got that. You got. I mean, the ECW. Sure. Uh, I mean, he was done. A lot of people. I don't think people realize that in the very early nineties, he was done. Like about ninety one, he had about wrapped it up. He wasn't really even wrestling anymore. ECW pulled him in and made him again. I think for a lot of people might say that was the the biggest most high profile part of his career or for a lot of fans, especially younger fans would remember him the most for doing, you know, he was the ECW world champion. He was, and he was doing it in Japan with the death matches. I mean, this is a guy that everybody thought would have been done and finished. And it's, it's a cliche. People always use it as a cliche when they say, Oh yeah, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm just getting started. And you're like, yeah, that's nice. It's a nice sentiment, but we all know you're basically done. But in yeah. his case, that was actually true, you know, several yeah. times. That's yeah. what makes yeah. him so amazing to me. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Jason, you're, you're a little younger than the rest of us. I mean, you, you have a whole different, uh, I would imagine, sort of perspective. You know, was it ECW for you, your first exposure to him with a Chainsaw Charlie in, in the mm -hmm. WWF in the late 90s? Yeah, very much so. I started watching wrestling in 1990. So for me, Terry Funk, it was the ECW stuff. Um, and ECW portrayed him as someone very important. Mm -hmm. And they put across, this guy is a legend. And so I subsequently went back and watched, you know, his earlier stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, and his, his 1989 stuff with Flair. And, but the ECW stuff, some of the promos that he cut there were unbelievable. And it was just him and a camera in Paul Heyman's mom's basement, probably. Yeah. And I remember there was one promo where he talked about his father passing away and his father had a heart attack while wrestling. And he cried. And I remember being 13, 14 years old watching that. And I welled up. Um, that was the effect that Terry Funk could have. Whenever he was acting like a maniac, you believed he was a maniac. When he was crying and heartfelt, you believed he was heartfelt. Um, some of his Japanese stuff when he was over there in IWA and he was chasing fans through the arena and the fans were legitimately frightened of him and running for their lives. I think that was the testament to Terry Funk was he made you believe in everything he did. There were better in-ring wrestlers, probably. There might have been better promos, but as an all-around package, Funk had every part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and like you said, Brian, it's hard to kind of put your finger on it, but but uh, Jason might have just done it. If, if there was one thing about him, I think it was that that believability and the, the emotion. I, I can, you know... Think about promos where, where you know, there's tears coming to his eyes, and it and it wasn't put on, and and yet it it very literally was put on, and and that was the beauty of of Terry Funk was that he knew how to turn that on and turn it off. You know, uh, I, I hear Dave Meltzer talk about how much he learned from from Terry Funk, and he's a guy who's so 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 uh, so uh, kind of folksy that you wouldn't think of him. At, at first blush as sort of like, you know, this, this deep student uh, of wrestling, you know, guys from his generation very often were, were stuck doing one way from the way they came up. And, and the thing with Terry was that he always was really kind of ahead of the game and, and really progressive and could, could see the signs of, of change. Uh, you know, ECW is maybe an, an obvious one, um, you know, for a guy who at the time was, you know, was he pushing 50? Was he already over 50 when he got involved uh, about, in, in about ECW? 50, yeah, yeah. and and he saw something. He saw that this was kind of the next evolution uh, of pro wrestling, and, and he had done that so many times. And, you know, it is hilarious. I mean, I think about, like we mentioned, I mean, seeing Terry Funk probably for the first time, 85 or so, in uh, WWF, and thinking he looked like an older guy then, you know, fast forward, whatever that is, uh, 13 years later, he's uh, seeing him in, in Boston at WrestleMania 14. Fast forward, another 10 years past that, another 50, and, and he just keeps going and going and going. It's, do you know when he wrestled his last match? Tech, well, his actual last match was 2017, believe That's it or insane. not. Because I've been doing a little quick research uh, now because I'm I'm going to be writing, unfortunately, his obituary for the yeah. wrestling news. But um, 2017, and it was, you know, uh, he it was one of those big time wrestling shows. That's the promotion that brought back Ricky Steamboat earlier this mm -hmm. year, and they had him and the Rock and Roll Express against uh, Brian Christopher, uh, Jerry Lawler, and one other person that I can't remember. And but that was like he he kind of had packed it in by about 2005 or so. But he would come back for a match here, a match there, and uh, 2017 was 
the very last one. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What would he be like? 70? It's crazy. Yeah. Over yeah. 70? Crazy. Yeah. At, I know he lost his wife a number of years ago, right? And and yeah. I heard that things really kind of took a turn with that, right? Well, yes. I, I had gotten to – I had met him when I worked for the WWE once or twice when they brought him in. You know, he wasn't really – they brought him in every now and then for things. And But I had gotten to know him pretty decently in the last three years, partly because of the Sheik book. Because I had – he was probably the biggest name – person that i was able to interview for that book somebody that went head to head with the sheik that was a peer that was a major star that was still with us and i remember the first time i spoke to him and that's how he you know when when we were talking about the stanley weston award uh i believe it was 2021 that was a no-brainer for me that's why i suggested it i said there's literally nobody drawing breath on this planet right now that hasn't been given this award that deserves it more than Terry Funk for sure. Yeah. But you know, the first time I spoke to him for the book, I called him in early 2020 and you know, it wasn't really public knowledge at the time, his health struggles, his wife had passed the year before and I could tell immediately it was a little bit jarring from, because I hadn't spoken to him in 15 years maybe. And, um, he, he sounded like a very old man. And he's yeah. one of those people that you never think is going to get old. And he sounded older than he was. And you could sort of tell that the years had caught up to him. You know, I mean, yeah, he was in his 70s, but he sounded like he was in his 90s. You know, yeah. the years had caught up with him. And his memory, even then, you can tell was kind of going. And there were things that he remembered that were remarkable. He would tell me stories about being, you know, when he was a kid watching his dad wrestle, you know. But then he would come back and tell the same story again two minutes later, that kind of thing. So I kind of knew that um, his health was slipping. And he was also extremely depressed. His wife mm -hmm. died in 2019. And I, know, and I think that's kind of when his problem started. It's one of those things like we, if we've known people in our lives and family and friends, sure. you see that happen when there's something that they're holding on to that goes like a spouse or a child or something. And then that's kind of when their mind starts to go and they, they sort of lose the grip. But he, you know, he um, at that time, he was still at home. When what I understand for a while, he was living home by himself. And at his age and his condition, that probably wasn't the greatest idea. So I know his daughter was trying to help him out and she had him in assisted living for a while. And then I think in the past year uh, that he had come home and was living at home. But I'm not sure about that. Did, did he uh, hold on to some of that money from, you know, 40 plus years in, in, in wrestling? I mean, how is he living? Well, I know that he sold the Double Cross Ranch. I was kind of mm -hmm. disappointed to learn when I spoke to him in 2020. I kind of had this image in my head of him alone at the Double Cross Ranch, but he told me that it was a different house that they'd sold it, and he was living. It. You know, he and his wife had been living in a different house. Um, you know, I don't really know. I honestly yeah. don't know. I know I haven't heard stories of him being destitute or anything like that. So uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he hopefully. worked constantly, mm -hmm. uh, but that could also that's also a sign when somebody does need money. So who knows? I mean, yeah, I, I really what, don't know. What's crazy is you know we, we've had some conversations in recent months with, with the passings of of people like um, the Iron Sheik and uh, Billy Graham about losing that that generation that that goes back in, into 70s and even um beyond that and i think terry funk is older than than all those guys but almost you you almost 
don't necessarily think of them of him from that generation because as you're touching on, I mean, he was he's relevant to to people a lot younger than than us yes. who saw him wrestle. You know, in into the well into the 2000s or even 2010s. He started wrestling in 1965. It's crazy. So My goodness, he was 10 years in when he got Almost the world title. Yeah. yeah, and and that was just like I said, literally just getting started. You know. And yeah. he's the younger brother. I mean, Dory's still right. with us. I think Dory started a year or two or three before that. But yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. I mean, look, we could do a whole show uh, just talking about uh, a Terry Funk, just uh, a huge loss. Well, uh, Jason, what, what would you expect out of uh, WWE? Do you, do you think of, I mean, a graphic at the very least? I mean, uh, you always wonder, like, you know, what what gets to the point of like a 10 bell salute sort of thing. And, you know, the reality is, um, for for a much younger generation, he probably doesn't mean as much as as he does to to fans uh, our age or older. Yeah, I'll expect a graphic at least in terms yeah. of anything more than that. I don't know because Terry Funk, certainly to me at least, was never a WWE guy, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in the business have kind of thought they were very independent, you know, even working for big companies and were fiercely individual. Terry Funk was. Terry never went where you expected him to go. And he would move on, you know, he, he didn't go with a, with a wind blow. It was just what suited him at that time. Um, and I think that's probably what caused his longevity in the business. You know, he yeah. went wherever and kept himself relevant everywhere and kept himself up to date with it. So never a WWE think, guy. But, and I, I don't think burned a lot of bridges, right? I mean, like, and not a WWE guy, but but as far as, as I knew, always welcome, you know, yeah. in, in WWE. And he was kind of guy who you would see drop in from time to time. They gave him... The Hall of Fame induction years ago. I think I was I was there for that. That was in uh, 2009 in Houston. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you'd see him over, over the years. So uh, I think considered a part of, of the family over there. A part of it was that he, you know, he had his family had had their own wrestling promotion, you know, right. that, that he had yeah. come up in. And, and so he was kind of tied to that in the 60s and 70s when he was world champion and everything. He very much was like homesteading. And then when they went out of business in the 80s, that's really when you start to see like Terry Funk, the what's the word, like the nomad, you know, yeah. just the, the the gunslinger, literally just going from place to place. And you never knew when he was going to show up in Florida, mid-Atlantic, Georgia, the WWF. I mean, Japan, look, that's the crazy thing. The stuff he was doing in Japan, he was like the sheik. The stuff he was doing in Japan in the 90s, was like he was already a legend there because he went back to the 70s in Japan. And I mean, those mm -hmm. some of those just insane matches when he and Dory were like these cowboy baby faces, they were like the only American gaijin wrestlers, one of the only early on that were treated like baby faces, you know, because the Japanese just loved them so much for whatever reason. They were these larger than life figures. And so he had been over there and over here. You're talking like, 40 years worth of uh, you know accomplishments yeah and, and you think about our, our own magazine and uh you know i was just um in uh a uh, and i've ever been to lucharitos they're like wrestling themed taco places and there's a few on long island and in the the bathroom they've got old wrestling magazines framed and some of them are very old from the 70s it's such a different era and there's terry funk on on the cover of them i mean them uh, uh, that's the the history that he has. So, again, I mean, th there there's not enough time to to uh, do justice to uh, his his place in, in the wrestling business. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll revisit the topic. I'm sure there'll be some kind of presence in in uh, 
PWI uh, addressing his passing. But in the year where we've lost some giants, I mean, this is about as big as it gets. I mean, I, you, you don't want to, you know, measure one versus the other. But as you touched on, I mean, he really is in that conversation of not just one of, of the best, but maybe the best. I mean, they, they, he's that special a, a figure. So certainly our condolences go out uh, to him, his family, um, and then everybody else uh, who uh, is, is certainly feeling the pain from his loss. Um, all right. I, I, I mean, not, not an easy transition, but but the plan here was to talk about All In. Uh, uh, Jason, biggest show theoretically in, in the history of uh, the relatively short history of, of AEW coming up uh, this Sunday. Uh, they say 80,000 plus uh, Wembley Stadium. Uh, there's some talk that this may be the, the, the highest paid attendance for a wrestling show, even eclipsing, eclipsing WrestleManias and, and anything like that. Considering that, you'd think this is the mother of all shows, surely a gigantic card, surely every fan, you know, at the edge of a seat waiting for this. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know that 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 I feel that way. Uh, what are your thoughts on the show coming up? And maybe you give us a perspective um, in, in, in your part of the world. I mean, does, you know, they they outsold WrestleMania 3 already. Does this feel like WrestleMania 3? You weren't around for WrestleMania 3, so I don't know if you would know. Barely, barely. Um, look, I don't want to diminish what AEW has done with this. The ticket sales is enormous. And what they're about to do is a huge thing. And you cannot take this away from them. In the scheme of wrestling history, this is massive. But I don't think I have ever been uh, disappointed with the build to a major show by them or anyone else in a long, long time. I don't know whether or not it's just bad timing because All Out is, what, a week later? Yep, and Grand so Slam they, a week or so after that, yeah. So they find themselves in this position, and the blame for this has to go to AEW, is that you're building towards three, four, maybe more shows in addition to your weekly ones all at one time, so nothing is getting a chance to build. So... I don't know. For me personally, here in the UK, it just doesn't feel that big. They're advertising it really, really well. Like there's billboards at soccer games here, Premier League games. It's huge. Um, they have very cleverly taken out advertisements during the commercial breaks of Raw and SmackDown here on TNT Sports. So literally every commercial break, there's an all-in advertisement. So smart are they trying to them. sell tickets, or are they just trying to raise awareness? No, I think they make clear in the, in the commercial that tickets are still available okay. and if you want to buy them. so. Um, but I don't know how much that is actually... It's unfair to compare it to SummerSlam 1992, but that's the obvious comparison. You know, They welcome yeah. that. It felt like at the time, I was a small kid at the time, but it felt like SummerSlam 1992 was a cultural thing in the UK. It was huge. It coincided with a massive boom period here for the, the WWF in the UK. It doesn't feel like that with this. It feels like AW are putting on a show here. Happens to be in the biggest stadium in the UK in terms of wrestling. Um, it just it's it's leaving me a wee bit disappointed. Yeah, and I asked Adam Cole this in in an interview that that uh, you could hear in, in just a few minutes. You know, kind of reconciling the two, this gigantic historic gate in, in Wembley Stadium, and and yet. Um, yeah, here stateside, you know, this has become like a thing on social media, people sharing uh, photos of AW shows that are half emptied or, or more than half empty. So it's like, well, are they a hot product? Or are they not a hot product? I mean, how, uh, so, so, you know, is it 
uh, Jason, how much of it is the novelty of there being a big show in Wembley Stadium? No, no, a huge part of it. Absolutely a huge part of it. Um, and I think whenever this was first announced, you know, I saw on my social media feed, certainly people started just pitching all of these different wrestlers that they wanted to see at this show. And my feeling was always, no, just put on an AEW show because that yeah. is actually what people here want to see. Don't be bringing in guys from the Indies or guys from Europe. They, they want to see an AEW show. So I think that the novelty of it is that that's AEW coming to Wembley Stadium, a huge venue, and it's no one else has done it here, certainly not in a long, long time. Tony Khan's been out there saying that right now AEW is the number one wrestling company in the UK. I mean, I don't know how, how you measure that, and uh, maybe they have some metrics to, to point to that, but do you feel like that's the case? Um, I, I personally don't. Um, now, in, the, in terms of the metrics, the weekly television shows for AEW are available for free in the UK. You don't have to pay to watch them, whereas with WWE, you have to pay a subscription to have TNT Sports here. Um, to watch WWE. So in terms of uh, viewer reach, AEW may be bigger than that. But in terms of the casual fan, if I walk down the street here and I say, do you know what AEW is? They're not likely to say yes. Yeah. Do you know what WWE is? Yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah, Brian, I mean, it, you know, we, we've speculated now for a number of, of weeks or months, you know, what, what this was going to look like. And when when news <clears throat> first dropped of, of Wembley Stadium, you know, maybe thinking sort of like WWE WrestleMania mode, like, all right, well, what's the biggest match that they can put on? And that's sort of what you think about when a WrestleMania is coming up is what is the biggest thing, you know, uh, uh, who's the A side and, and who's uh, the B side. And there was on my part, you know, some expectation that they weren't going to do that, that they were just going to put on sort of an AEW show. Um, and it feels like that, what they, that's what they did. And, even less than that, I mean, this is where it gets really sort of weird. It's like not only, you know, are they headlining with a match that, you know, there, there is anticipation for it. And, and it's a program that's working pretty well on, on TV, Adam Cole and MJF. But, you know, there, there sort of literally isn't that bad blood because the storyline they've been telling is that these guys are pals, right? So the, you're headlining this, this biggest show, 80,000 people. And two guys are sort of like, it's kind of goofball. We're having some fun, you know, uh, uh, they're, t they're teaming together. I think the night before or something challenging for the ROH titles, you know, m maybe there's some big fallout, but I was just watching, you know, trying to catch up on some of this and comedy angle in front of Outback Steakhouse, all the stuff. And like, this is the build too, <laughs> you know, like the, 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 the show that you're selling, you're, you're trying to build as, as, as the biggest wrestling show in the history uh, of the sport. So, you know, what kind of grade do you, do you give the build up to the show? Failure. I mean, there's there's no I, I, there's no way to be nice about it. Uh, failure because of the level and the potential of what this is compared to how it's actually being treated. I mean, there's no nice way to put it. You have your hands on what could be a, a, a moment for the company that can put you on the map, a game changing possible moment. And it is absolutely not going to be that. I hope I'm wrong, but it's shaping up to be something where like the next day, everyone's going to be like, hey, that was pretty good. Okay, what's next week? You know what I mean? Instead of being like, here we are 30 years later, we're talking about SummerSlam 92. 35 years later, we're talking about WrestleMania 3. You know what I mean? This is not that. Uh, yeah. I don't even know where to begin with this because I, I was – I mean, even Tony Khan on the media call that he just gave. I don't know if you guys heard the audio of that or if maybe no. one of you was on it. Um 
I am trying to be as diplomatic as I can. Here, but <laughs> he, he is a man that is in over his head, and I, don't, I have no ill will uh, at all towards him. But it comes across as, I mean, almost outright saying, um, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I mean, it was literally talking about how he, he talked about how overwhelmed he was, how there were last-minute changes that he had to make to the creative of the show that people don't even know about yet how there's going to be changes to matches and things and how, you know, how he, he's not totally sure how it's going to connect to all out. It was not a very confidence boosting kind of like uh, boilerplate company, you know, press conference. It, it really sounded like this is somebody who is drowning in this and it's showing in what we're getting here. I mean, you mentioned MJF and Cole. Look, AEW has got, unless they just want to stay within the 800,000 people that watch every week and will watch if, you know, they had a, a test pattern on, they need to break away from this idea of this is a great match on paper. Yep. You know, fans need way more than that. Yes, MJF and my, Adam Cole, I was going to say Michael Cole, is a great <laughs> no, match on match. paper. <laughs> it's a great match when you look at the two guys. Yeah, they're both great. Yeah. Oh, that could be great. But but you have to make people interested beyond that. And this is not doing that. This is a mid-card angle that they're doing. This is like a funny comedy relief mid-carder type of program that's sort of like that is, you know, a segment that's buried in a dynamite or a raw or something. And they're making it the main event of the big one of the biggest shows of all time with a again, maybe I'm wrong, a heel turn that maybe you could see a thousand miles away if right. that's the way they're going with this. Um, yeah, it almost feels like today I had something dawn on me. And tell me what you think of this. We're talking SummerSlam 92 Wembley Stadium, right? They're, they're thinking, you know, they're thinking of that. What was the main event of that? You had two guys who were face versus face do they really get along maybe maybe not you have people that are fans of one guy people that are fans of the other guy there's are, no are you talking like, uh uh bulldog and brett or warrior yes. and savage warrior remember, savage was the, not the main event bulldog it was here brett. it wasn't state it was stateside that was now the, get the, a hold the, of yourself <laughs> versus the british bulldog was the main event um the thing is though i think this is AEW trying in some clumsy way to have a callback to that, but it's just so poorly executed that it's sacrilege. It, you almost have to sit <laughs> here and do what I did, do these mental gymnastics to try to see what they're trying to do. And then, and then, you know, it feels like just, first of all, any other pay-per-view to me, it's just, this could be any other show. This could even be a really stacked, dynamite to be honest with you yeah the, the, the matches that they're putting together and just the build for things um it's it's like watching a, a train derailment in slow motion is what it's yeah. like you can't believe that you keep waiting you keep going like there's gonna be more right i mean they're gonna all right they're gonna kick it into gear boom when's about and and it's not happening you know well the the, the problem is that that it is um j just uh, a kind of a step along the way and and it is a problem of all these shows right so i think they're thinking well we still have all out so yes um you know i imagine whatever comes out of cole and mjf builds to something at all out and and maybe that that is where we get like the the the, the highly anticipated grudge match the the you know all that 
Um, but it's it's backwards, right? Because this is the, the the big show. I mean, it would be like WrestleMania building to to backlash, you know, or, or something like that. It's it's completely backwards. I'm sure and this was my concern with this show all along is that they're going to go into it with the thought of, you know, we're going to have a bunch of great matches. And then the, so the show will be a success because the matches are going to be really good. We're going to have a bunch of five-star matches. And and I don't doubt that they will. I mean, if you look at the lineup in terms of, you know, what they can deliver, you're going to have a bunch of great matches. But um, even if you do, uh, and look, th this is not, um, this is my, well, I don't know if it's my opinion, but but uh, it, it is completely subjective. You can look at this already as a failure in that the anticipation isn't there. Right for for these matches, you know, you, you think about WrestleMania and 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 uh, you know, I, I I think about the 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 mood in LA early this year, and the excitement of this is going to be it. Cody's going to dethrone Roman, and and what a you know what a big match uh, feel it had, and and that's the case most WrestleManias. You know, I I don't think, or or maybe a better example is Hogan and Andre. And I think we were just talking about this in, in the last podcast. You know. Um, you know, people did it matter that that wasn't a five star match? You know, I mean that that was the biggest match in in wrestling, and and the the whole world was waiting for it. And if the thought here is, um, you know, the storyline between Adam and M MJF is secondary, they're going to have a great match in the ring. Uh, you know, I, I guess it is a a one way of of approaching this. I don't know that it's the right way, uh, uh, Jason. Uh, you know, in, in terms of that, you know, can you talk a about have again have they already failed in that that big show feeling I, well there is a big show feeling just because of the crowd right so it's like you know would we even be talking about this as the big show in, in aw's history were it not just for the fact that they've sold eighty thousand tickets well if if this show was in an armory in, in yeah. louisville would this have the same impact in any kind of way? I Does this know. card feel any differently than than you know your your run of the mill AEW pay per view? No, and in fact, yeah. your run of the mill AEW pay per view is probably better yeah, than the card for this show. You're right. I think they they historically have done a much better job of promoting because you you do see it coming for months and months, and that's one of the the pros of them doing the quarterly pay per views is that they have a long time to build it. But I don't know that I even would have seen a few weeks uh, ago, like, oh, really? That's going to be the main event? Call an MJF? Yeah, well, especially when you... Sorry. sorry. No, Dave. go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. No, I was going to say when you think... And I, and I know people fall into the trap of fantasy booking, and you always get people that say, well, don't criticize this because just because it's not what you right. would have done, right? You, you can't fall into that trap. But, but there were so many possibilities here that... And again, I guess politics or getting people to play nice and all that... But you could have had Punk and Omega. You could have had yeah. Omega, even if they couldn't get along, Omega Danielson too. I mean, I feel like this isn't rocket science. After, and that's the, the connection where you can actually, because AEW, one of their weakest points is this sense of like continuity, like things matter and they last. Here you have people remember that Grand Slam uh, match. I was there, the 30-minute draw. Yeah. Danielson coming in, Omega, that was big match feel. That felt like a WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. Now you do the return match. I mean, there's so many things. The one match where I feel like, okay, this was the move is FDR Young Bucks. Okay. Yes. And, and then you maybe have, Maybe that closes the show. I, uh, I mean, 
Maybe. You know, I, I think know. it's sort of a, a more uh, suitable main event, actually, uh, in that I, I do think that that tells the story more of, of what AEW is, because I think that's one of the problems is that, and I don't mean this is a slide on, on any of those guys. They're, they're all super uh, talented. Here's me being uh, diplomatic. But <laughs> if, if you were telling me, you, you know, your AEW is putting on a show in front of 80,000 fans, the biggest show uh, ever on, on pay-per-view, who's in the main event? I, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have thought of picked Adam Cole uh, or MJF. I mean, MJF is the champion, so maybe almost by default he needs to, to be there. But uh, with all due respect, neither is the biggest star um, in that company. You know, but, a company that has CM Punk and Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson and Chris Jericho and John Moxley. You can go on and on. I mean, I, I think you can argue that those two guys are maybe below all of those guys. Again, MJF having the title, maybe not. Um, but... You know, is, I guess they're trying to elevate Cole, you know, and Cole's a super talent, you know, but I don't, I don't know. I, I Well, because it's wrestling, though, you can you can make people care. Right. And that should be your job to make it important. Make people care. And I, and I think they could have because, look, here's here's a couple of great examples with the shows that we're connecting to this show. SummerSlam 92. For those that you remember that remember, I don't know if Al, I, I know. I don't know oh, if sure. you remember this from the time. That was the first WWF pay-per-view without Hulk Hogan. Right. That was the first time that they had to go sure. out there on a limb without Hogan ending the show, doing the thing. I mean, they knew they had to do something else. And they took two guys. And now, Al, you have me thinking this Mandela effect here. I mean, Br Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith went on last. Am I, am they I wrong? Did. Yes. Okay. But, they did. but They closed the show. But in, in, in the United States the main event very much was promoted as the ultimate warrior and, and Randy Savage. But the way they drew that crowd and again, yes, they I'm wrong. the way they drew the it there, they built it around two guys who were mid carters wrestling at the time wrestling for right. Brett hadn't even won the world title once yet. Right. No wrestling for a mid card title. And they made it into the biggest thing ever. And they made you care. And especially in the case of Bret Hart, they made those guys careers like that was the that was like a launching point. Or look at WrestleMania three. We talked about how Hogan and Andre. Yeah, not the greatest match of all time. OK, great. It's not a five star classic, whatever. It's the personalities. It's the hugeness of the moment and the stars. But on that same show, you had a match that you could say is an all time mm -hmm. classics, you know, uh, work great, whatever. Five star Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat. And yet even that match had a compelling storyline that fans still remember to this day that made little kids want to see the match beyond just, these guys are great workers, it's going to be a great match. Yes, but they made you care even about that match. It was, you know, maybe the second most, I guess, compelling storyline on the show. I'm trying to remember everything. Piper and Adonis was a big Piper and Adonis yeah. was a huge one, yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, that's what's not being done here. It's not even so much the matches. It's really not. It's the creative behind it and the build and making it feel special and building it. You need a good six, seven weeks at least for a show like this to get people like frothing at the mouth for the yeah. show. They did. They have not done this. Yeah. Well, Jason, are we are we being I'm sorry. Let me ask you this and, and feel free to take it where you want. Are, are we being too hard on Adam Cole and MJF in as much as. You know, by all accounts, they're, they're uh, doing strong numbers. The, 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 those angles are doing strong. AEW fans like it. I mean, it's entertaining. But by all accounts, 
their storyline is working. Yeah, I think everything I've heard and read is that the storyline is over. I've been enjoying it, as silly as it is at times. It is enjoyable. If they are going to be an event, they have a wonderful opportunity to do what Brett and, and DAV did, and that's show everybody that they deserve to be in that position. I have no doubt they can have a good match, just like everyone else in the card can have a good match. Brian brought up a good point there um, when he talked about it was the first WWF pay-per-view without Hogan in 92 at SummerSlam. The AEW roster has way more stars now than the WWF did in the summer of 1992. Far and away more. But the stories that have been building just this aren't good. Like Just looking at the card, you have MJF and Adam Cole who are wrestling, and the story is, are they friends? Are they not? The Chris Jericho-Will Ospreay match is based off of, is Chris Jericho and Don Callis, are they friends? Are they not? Soraya and Tony Storm are in a women's four-way match. Are they going to be friends? Are they not? You know, it's it's lazy. And I hate to rag on them because I say this is a huge, huge event for them. But it just, the buildup has left so much to be desired. Yeah, yeah. The other, I mean, uh, the other match, you know, look, the reality is, and, and I, I feel like you could almost say this uh, objectively, um, CM Punk is the biggest star in AEW. Yes. Um, he's wrestling Samoa Joe. Um, you know, that, that could be really great, right? I mean, uh, but but it does it does feel like, you know, these things happen at the same time. The announcement of the Wembley show and Punk coming back. And and so, obviously, I think most people concluded, well, you got to have Punk in the main event of the biggest show. And and, they, and then, as you touched on, you had this natural storyline with the heat with um, uh, the elite. I can accept that, you know, business just got in the way and they would, they would love to do it and it just couldn't be worked out. Uh, but is is this a a good spot, a worthy spot for a guy like a punk on on this card? I'll ask either of you, uh, Jason. What do you think? What what else is there to do? I think yeah. that's the thing. Like, <laughs> that's the problem with with him like not playing well with everybody. It's like, well, who, yeah, who can you put punk with? You run yeah. out of people after a while. It's, right. Uh, it just looking at the card, there are so many big names who are are buried in tag team matches. You know, yeah. like Moxley's in a, a ten man tag match and. Stings in a tag team match with, I mean, you could have done something huge with Sting. You could have done Punk and Sting. I don't know how good that would have been, but it would have been a marquee matchup, you know, and you could have built it as Sting's last ever international match or, or something like that. You know, Punk and Joe will be good because Punk and Joe have always been good, but, you know, they were good 15 years ago. You know, is it a big match now? Probably not as much as it might have been, but I don't know. I don't know what else you could have done. I also think we're at a point now and it's like we, we take for granted some of these things now without even stopping to think about it. But it's like uh, I think if you this is like become the crucify Tony Khan hour and I'm sorry for this, but I feel like if you had a stronger leadership, look, no one is going to walk into Vince McMahon's office or or even Triple H's office and say, OK, yeah, uh, we've got this potential to do. This we got this huge show. We got the no-brainer kind of main event here, but but I I don't like this guy. He was mean to me, and I don't want to <laughs> be around him. They would have been like, "We're doing this match. This is the creative. You're going to do this, or you don't work here anymore. You know, you, you work for me. This is my business. This is my company. We're trying to have the biggest show of all time. You guys are going to make a fortune off of this. This is going to be your payoff. Blah 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 blah." 
I don't care that you don't like each other. You're going to do it. And and they have done that. I mean, I, the, the one that I think back to is Edge and Matt Hardy. Remember uh, how oh real God. that was? I know. They know? forced them. I, I saw it with my own eyes. They forced yeah. those guys to work together. I mean, to the point, it, it was distasteful. Uh, and especially with Lita, I know she was really upset about it. And that's an extreme example. See what I did there? Extreme. That was an extreme <laughs> example where they but they'll do as they say what's best for business i'm not saying that tony khan needs to become vince mcmahon and become this amoral kind of cutthroat person <laughs> but i think they just they we we cut them way too much slack the idea that we're sitting there going like oh man they had these matches that would have been so much bigger and better but the guys don't like each other so uh, yeah. they just put them in other matches like what what we let them off the hook for something here that i i think is just way just insane it's like bizarro world and 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 beyond that i mean there, there are stories now that um you know things aren't so bad uh anymore that they they are coexisting and you know there was this thing about you know a, a punk apologizing for adam page for some shots he took at him so you know it does seem like you know there's some progress being made um but yeah you'd, you'd think you know this is all to say and, and easy for me to say outside looking in, but but I do think that if if you know, given the old college try, they could have done something uh, with that. You know, and I and I agree. I, I think what it would have taken was real leadership, um, and and not in the eleventh hour, but but months ago. You know, once yeah. you knew Wembley was on the table, getting everybody in the room and saying, "Look, right. how how do we? This is too big a deal to let go. How do we figure this out?" Right, even like I'm like again. I'm saying you don't need to become Vince McMahon. You know, if you you don't need yeah. to become that kind of person. But even like a strong uh, football coach who knows yeah. what he wants out of his team, right? And who says, "Listen, all right, you don't like him. You don't like him. I don't care. We're going out there. We're going to put on the best show possible. You know, we're going to make the other guys look bad. You know, they did this. Well, we're going to do this. They drew this crowd. Where you know, we're all on the same team. We're going to put it all aside. We're going to get out there and we're going to do what we need to do. Like." They need somebody like that. Yeah. I, I do go back, uh, Jason, again and again to, to um, so much of, of this problem. And and it, it's a problem that I don't even think needs to be there. But it is um, the fact that you've got all out or whatever is a, a week or so later. And and I I don't know. I, I just don't know why they did this. I mean, I don't know why this just couldn't have been all out, you know. Um, yeah. And and then you would you would have a clear focus um on on the one show and not worry about um you know having to hold some stuff back because you got another show to sell uh, a week later i mean imagine how different this show would have been if it was the destination yeah whatever this the, the word of this show first started rumbling out there i thought okay cool this is our, our regular AEW pay-per-view that's that's going to be in london this is huge and then it was going to be all in and all out was going to be a week later in chicago i think it is i was like what yeah. it's to me, the whole thing strikes me like, you know, someone who's never booked a show in his life or run an arena, but surely the thing to do is you have a show that needs a stadium. AEW seemed to have a stadium that needed a show. Yeah. And <laughs> they haven't got the show as far as I can see. Yeah, well said. And and you know, you never you don't get a second chance to make a first impression and, and that is the concern that they go out there and um look, I mean, um it, it's it's going to be a beautiful Sunday afternoon, our time here in the summer, one of the last weekends uh, of the summer to get me to stay in on uh, with, you know, on a, on a pretty Sunday uh, in August on one of the last week weekends of the summer. 
Uh, you got to give me something big. This is all to say, I don't think I'm watching this thing live. And if you told me that the 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 show with the the biggest live attendance in wrestling history, I could pass and 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 watch it on tape delay later. I I mean, impossible. But you know, honestly, I I, I uh, I'm I'm excited to see what it's going to look like. I'm excited to see you know how they deliver on this match. I don't doubt that we're going to have a bunch of great matches out there. But if I'm being honest, they have not done enough to get me excited about the card and and i think that goes for a, a lot of other people stay tuned for my adam cole interview <laughs> we've done a great job here promoting show. he's and never coming be, on I, again the end. i i am trying to be diplomatic and and, and you know different uh, uh folks and, and and obviously none of this a reflection on on any of these guys who um including adam cole who uh, I think is a super talent, I think got a raw deal for many years in, in WWE, and I think very much belongs in the main event scene of a, a company um, like AEW. And and if we have some criticism, it, it's maybe that, you know, he, he, this service is, is being done um, to him and, and to some of his uh, co-workers in that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that that Tony kind of put his best foot forward in, in promoting the show. Um, we're, we uh, don't want to take too much time, but but uh, as we're approaching the hour mark here, it's the first time we've talked since SummerSlam. Um, and uh, for once, you know, WWE is not probably the, the top thing in, in the news, but uh, there is a fair amount of fallout uh, from from SummerSlam. Bloodline story keeps on uh, moving through. Now we've got the Usos uh, a split. Jay Uso ostensibly out of uh, WWE. We'll see how long uh, that lasts. Um, uh, uh, Brian, just just what's your take on the the latest episode in in the Bloodline saga? I gotta say, I've I've heard more people say, um, you know, kind of approach it with a meh kind of uh, a review than than all the chapters that came before it. Some people going as far as saying, you know, Jimmy turning on Jay was the jump the shark moment of of uh, this whole thing. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I think everybody continues to play their part really, really uh, well. And I think the reality is when you have a storyline that is going on whatever, you know, three plus years, you're going to have peaks and valleys. I think that if it hasn't jumped the shark, the bloodline, I think that Fonzie is putting on his <laughs> jet skis. Like he's fastening them on. They're getting it ready. You know, the the the, the shark is has been corralled. <laughs> They're prepared. No, because... Um, yeah, I think we're getting into like wolf pack black and white territory now of this uh, when we look back on it, especially. And again, and I'm going to be the I told you so guy with everything that happens and everything that passes, they should have pulled the trigger with Cody at Mania. And my opinion never changes on that because for many reasons now, I feel like it contributes to Roman's story of his world falling apart. Why does he need to be the world champion now? Why? He's not even defending it. You know, it adds to the idea that this is a man whose world is crumbling. Plus, you could have had Cody. You wouldn't need to have Seth Rollins dancing around doing whatever he's doing as the consolation prize world champion. Because you could have Cody Rhodes out there front and center defending it against Brock, defending it against Dominic, defending it against Damian Priest and Phil Balor. Finn ba Phil Balor. Finn Balor. <laughs> you know, so I, I do feel like we're getting to that meh point with it, where a lot of people's reaction with the when Jimmy Uso came out, I, I, I swear to God, I had some of those like higher power NWO kind of flashbacks when Jimmy took the hood off at the, you know, at, at the pay-per-view and revealed himself at SummerSlam. And I was just like, eh, like, why? 
Like who, what, why are we doing this? You know, again. <laughs> yeah. And then he gave his half-assed reason. Well, I didn't want you to turn into Roman. And like, you could even feel when they did that segment, you know how hot the crowds are for those bloodline segments, right? I mean, it almost felt like they were going to just turn it into just two hours of the bloodline arguing with each other at a certain point. You could feel that the crowd was just, again, sort of like, yeah, whatever. It just didn't have that energy anymore. It just, I don't know if it was just me feeling that of Jimmy giving his like lame reasoning of why he interfered. The real reason he interfered is just to keep this thing going. Yeah. I don't know if they know what to do next. I, I think they're like, this is great. We have the greatest thing on our hands that we've had like in since like forever. Let's not let go of this. We have to just keep doing it. And all, all, all credit to Paul Heyman. He's brilliant. And I know he's got a lot to do with all of it, but um, I just think like it's it's losing steam. Let's just put it that it's losing steam. Yeah, and I I I, do, I think that's absolutely the uh, the case. Um, I want to believe that they could pull the nose up, you know, and um, they oh, could I salvage. They, uh, yeah. they could salvage it, you know. Um, I, I do think you know this latest chapter not as exciting as some uh, past chapters. Uh, but there are still a, a, a lot of directions um, they can go. Obviously, Uso versus Uso. You could you could do another Jay Roman match. Um, you could do Jimmy Roman. They're obviously building something long term for for Solo uh, and and Roman. You know, I I I'm sure somewhere there is you know a spreadsheet or something that has this all mapped out between now and WrestleMania, and they have a plan to get there. Um, uh, I, I suppose to eventually get back to Cody. And I will say, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I don't know. I just, I feel like that's never guaranteed. But I will say again, like to the strength of WWE in making people care, um, despite the shark jumping or whatever you want to say, you know, um, I would venture to say that they were able to more successfully make people interested in seeing a match between Roman Reigns and one of the Usos. Think about that for a second, right? Yeah, crazy. Uh, one of the Usos who've been around for like 12 years in WWE. They made people care more, I think, about that match than the AEW has been able to make oh, yeah. people care about a match between, which on paper, right, should be way better and, and a much more of a slam dunk of a match to make people care. And yet we're over here going, oh, I can't wait till Roman Reigns defends the title against Jay Uso. Like what? Yeah. Can you imagine saying that in like 2014? You, you know well, what I mean? Jay is Jay is so great. I've been saying it uh, for months. I'm happy to see him kind of finally get his due. It does feel like you know he's getting positioned now for that next thing and and being, uh, you know, I, I guess you could argue already he's the top babyface on on the SmackDown uh, side, and I think he just exudes. You know, I I think. Uh, and I don't want to be mean, but I think he's created a, a, a pretty big distance between him and Jimmy in, in terms of what they yes. bring to the table. And, and for so long it was, which one is which? And some of his conditioning, and Jay looks great. You know, I, I think Jimmy, less so, you know, when you start wrestling with your shirt on all the time, I think it, it, it's telling it. And, and, and Jay, they, they put out like a, a a vlog leading up to SummerSlam, which is really cool. And you saw Jay at home with like his kid and his kid picks Uncle Joe to beat, uh, uh, Jay, and he's just likable. And, and uh, I, I think Jay is, is just the whole package. Uh, uh, Jason, uh, uh, switching to, to one thing, um, WWE. So uh, as far as that other world title, uh, uh, Seth, uh, we now know his next challenger kind of took me out of, you know, came out of the blue with, with Nakamura. Uh, I'm intrigued. I, I I'm happy to see Nakamura, you know, be elevated. But 
you know, you would have thought that they would have sort of like foreshadowed this somewhat, which is to say, like, push Nakamura for a while, let him get some wins on, under his belt before he challenges for the world title. I don't know how credible he is as a world title challenger, even though I'm really excited to see the match. Yeah, it's strange. It did seem like it came out of nowhere. I mean, one week Nakamura is feuding with Bronson Reed, you know, mm-hmm. in the second match on Raw, and the next week he's the number one contender to Seth Rollins. Um, I don't know. It seems like with that title, they're trying to get to WrestleMania. Whatever the plans may be for that, and I have a suspicion it may be Gunther, but mm. it seems like they're trying to kill time between now and then. And so it could be this challenger of the month. And just like the the reason for for Jimmy turning on Jay Uso was a little flimsy, on Raw this week they revealed that Nakamura was he whispered to Seth Rollins, I know about your bad yeah. back. And that's the reason that we, you know, we should believe that Nakamura is going to defeat Rollins and stuff. Little strange. I'm all for it. Nakamura is a great talent. I have no doubt that he and Rollins can have a great match, but uh, yeah, not sure Nakamura is going to win that one. This is the closest thing to sort of a WWE off season as there is when you get into September, October. And, 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 and Brian, we've talked about this, you know, the comparison that I always think of is the Patriot. Remember Patriot and, and, and Bret Hart. And there was <laughs> yeah. like that run where like, he was like, he challenged, I think he was Bret Hart's opponent for two pay-per-views. One was a tag match and another one. And this is when Bret was the world champion. And it was like, really the Patriot. And it kind of worked and it was fine. And it, and it was, I think it was like September, October. So, you you know, WrestleMania kind of like carries right through SummerSlam kind of, you know, you have like this thread and then SummerSlam is where you kind of a, a reboot. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing. That's why it's not super clear what, what Roman's doing. And Seth is working with Nakamura, who, you know, Jason talked about it was clearly a mid Carter a week before. I don't hate it though. And I think for a guy like Seth, where you are trying to not just um, build him as a world champion, but build this title that that only has a few months history. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to let him kind of rack up the wins against fairly credible challengers who will give him a good match. And and that's the one thing that's exciting for me is is um, you know do we get a motivated Nakamura who who came in here with all these expectations now, whatever it is, five years ago, and, and never really met those. Um, and now working with uh, Seth, who's one of the very best in the world. Um, you know, I, I, I really, I think they'll go in there with something to prove. Yeah. And I'm glad to see him in the mix for sure. It's definitely interesting because it's ironic. It, it almost does seem like the kind of thing that AEW does in a way where it's yeah. like, we got two guys, they're great workers. Everybody respects them. Everybody knows they always have a great match. And we're going to put them against each other. How's that? You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. So, I mean, I think it'll be – they'll be great. I mean, it'll be great. And it's something for Seth to do. It's somebody for him to defend against who's not in the judgment day, which would be nice. You know, that kind of thing. I don't – it's not as egregious a thing because it's it's not the main program. It's no. not, you know uh, – it's it potentially could help to reestablish Nakamura as – uh, a kind of, uh, but he'd have to win, right? I mean, if, the, if uh, not necessarily, not necessarily. I think even just being in the mix, uh, it could elevate him back up to being somebody that you think of in your head as some, a, someone you can plug into main events, which I don't think he's been considered that for a long time now. And so, I mean, it's it's not the worst thing in the world, but I'm it, it's better than. What they've been doing. I mean, the one thing I love about the Rollins and have him having this title, which I don't even think should exist in the first place, 
is the fact that he is living up to the hope that people had that he'd be the workhorse. This would be the yeah. workhorse world title. We'd see him out there. He's out there on the house shows. He's giving people their money's worth. You know, he, he's giving people a world title match. He's got, you know, it's it, he's he's working hard to build the reputation of this title. So at least there's that. And I think this is part of that. So I'm, I'm yeah, okay yeah. with it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for, for uh, joining me on the very, very uh, news-filled uh, show. Um, anything, either of you, Jason, anything you want to uh, promote, uh, your social media, anything else? Uh, yeah, you can find me at jbladeko on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go to uh, the PWI website. You can subscribe to the, the weekly newsletter on there, which I have a hand in along with Kevin every week. Great. And uh, uh, Brian, how is uh, the Girl Monsoon book coming along? And, and you've done some appearances lately, right? Or are those still to come? Yeah, some I've done, some still to come. I was at the New England Fan Fest last month where they do the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. And I'm going to be at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. I'm not sure when this is going to get posted, but it's the, the last weekend. Uh, it's the all-in weekend. That's where I'll be. That's Albany? Uh, yeah, in Albany. Okay. It's the third annual. And um, I'm, I'm a part of that. And the Gorilla Book is um, I'm in I'm still in transcription hell, but um, <laughs> I've, I'm I'm pulling off some great interviews. I don't know if I mentioned it here before. I think I did that. I got to talk to Bret Hart. Great. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm hoping I'm gonna I'm gonna spill the beans. I'm hoping that it's possible that he may. I have a tentative understanding that he may write the the forward to the book. So we'll great. Excellent. And, Super exciting. And I actually got to talk to Gorilla's widow recently, Maureen, oh, uh, wow, great. which was like, still with us. yeah, she's in her eighties. And that was like, to me, that was like the Holy grail interview that I wanted, especially from like a personal life perspective, someone that'll have uh, answers and to questions that no one else is going to have, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was finally able to do that. I'm very grateful. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And just uh, was has great memories of, of someone that's beloved by everybody, but none more so than her for sure. It, with, with a project like this and you're talking to his spouse and you're trying to, you know, uh, encapsulate this guy's uh, life. Is it one interview and you try to get it all in on, on that one interview? Do you, do you expect you're going to be, you know, calling her back uh, from time to time or the next? Yeah. I mean, with, if I had all the time in the world, I'd be doing, you know, repeat right. interviews and all this kind of thing. And I know people do that with books when they're working on them for years on end. Um, you know, it's a time issue. Uh, what I typically do is I'll do one big one, like we spoke for a few hours. And then if there's things that come up and things I need answers to or whatever, I, you know, I can touch base with people. I do that kind of thing. Because honestly, the most important thing for the interviews for me is not so much getting factual information, although I do get that, because you can find that. It's getting perspectives, opinions, yeah. getting like really interesting quotes and things. And so I find if you can't get that out of somebody in one or two hours, then you're not doing sure. a good job. You yeah, know what absolutely. I mean? Yeah. Well, we're all uh, waited, waiting with uh, a bit of breath of that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see it. Um, and yeah, well, thanks so much. I appreciate it, guys. Hope to uh, do it again. Uh, Jason, you in particular, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll get you back on uh, before long. Uh, right now, let's hear from one of the men headlining AEW all in uh, this Sunday, challenging for the World Heavyweight title. It is Adam Cole. Hey, Adam. What's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, good. How are you, man? Good. Thank you for uh, taking the time. Of course. So we got a, a lot to talk about. Uh, look, the, the, the biggest uh, audience in the history of uh, wrestling outside of North Korea 
and there you are in, in the main event. I mean, what, what kind of nerves um, go into that? Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's hard to describe because I haven't been in this situation before. Um, you, you know, I've, I've wrestled in front of very, very large crowds and, and wrestled on very, very important shows. I think the largest audience I wrestled in front of, aside from this one, uh, was the Tokyo Dome when I, when I became the three-time ROH world champion. But mm-hmm. this, to be able to break the paid attendance record is is wild. So, of course, I have a lot of nerves but also a lot of excitement. I, I think at this point I've been I've been wrestling for 15 years, so I'm going in with a certain confidence of knowing that I have to do what I've done for for over 15 years at this point. But my God, um, mostly excitement with with definitely a nice helping side of nerves on the side for sure. How do you approach a match like that in terms of? Uh, preparation? Do you just go out there and put on the best match that you can? Or considering the stakes, is there some pressure to do something extra? You know, this is the the biggest crowd I'll ever wrestle in front of. Maybe I've got to deliver the best performance of my life. Sure. Well, I I really do mean this, and I I don't mean to make this sound like a generic answer, but but I think a lot of other guys would agree with me on this one is we do treat every single match like we want it to be the best match possible. So actually, it's more trying to put myself into a situation where I do treat this like every other match. Of course, it's not. This is, like again, the biggest paid attendance in, in wrestling history as far as this show goes. So, of course, you want it to be extra special and extra exciting. But as far as the mental preparation goes you treat it like it's another day at the office. At least that helps me. Otherwise, I, uh, <laughs> otherwise I'll be a bundle of nerves. So yeah. it's, it's exciting. You're in there with our guy, the, the one place in the world where maybe MJF is a baby face here on Long Island. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what, what uh, has the experience been like uh, working with him? You guys have, you know, it, it's a different approach to storylines than I think we've seen um, from AW, uh, sort of lighthearted, but it's really connected. Is it a testament to your guys' chemistry with one another? I, I think that certainly plays a part in it. Yeah, uh, you know, I met MJF years and years ago when he was first starting out, and um, I, I really did feel this way, and, and he could tell you the same, but the first time I saw him, I thought, oh, this guy's going to do really, really well. He, he was one of those guys that at such a young age carried himself really well, he wrestled great. Obviously, he's an incredible talker. So I was really looking forward to the idea of getting to step into the ring with him at some point. Um, and again, now fast forward, and to be involved in this angle has been so much fun. And I, I think I think a big reason the chemistry has worked so well is me and him both have a very similar approach and mindset when it comes to pro wrestling. Like what, one of my favorite things about it is, again, I just love how in pro wrestling – you can feel so many different emotions. You can be laughing one minute. You can be crying the next. You can be jumping for joy. You can be furious and angry. And I think a really good pro wrestling show, specifically a pro wrestling angle, has a little bit of all of that. So um, I, I'm very, very glad that the fans have latched onto it and are having a good time because I know we are too. What, what can AEW take away from um, this show. I mean, one of the things I'm sure you've seen it is that there is this sort of like uh, a disparity, this contradiction between, you know, the biggest paid attendance ever, 80,000 uh, fans in Wembley, 
And then in social media from time to time, you see these photos of, of AW shows here in the U.S. where they're far from full, a lot of empty seats, that kind of thing. People use that to say, look, this is just kind of uh, an anomaly. It is the novelty of a big event in, in the U.K. This doesn't really speak to uh, AW being a particularly hot product. What is the takeaway? Of, uh, what does it mean for AW that they were able to fill this stadium? Sure. Well, not only do I think this is a huge win for AEW, I think it's a huge win for, for pro wrestling. Uh, you know, I know lots of times there is this constant battle that goes online between, you know, WWE and AEW lots of times. And, and I mean this truth be told, but a lot of guys in AEW, me included, were excited when WWE does really, really well and something amazing. And I know a lot of guys there are super excited and pumped for us when something goes well. Like, for example, this giant Wembley Stadium show. So to me, aside from the fact that AEW is such a young company and to be able to sell so many tickets, I mean, for a while without a single match announced is absolutely incredible and something that AEW should be very proud of. And to me, it's proof that AEW is here to stay and doing nothing but but growing, which is an amazing thing to be a part of. But it's also so great for pro wrestling to, to be able to have a show like this and to, to break this all-time paid attendance record. This is just an incredible thing to be a part of, an incredible thing for pro wrestling, for the wrestlers, and no matter what company you're in, and certainly for the fans. This is an amazing, amazing time, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah. Another thing that I've heard, I don't know if it's a criticism, but people have pointed out it's sort of unusual is these, uh, uh, you know, and, and just texting with, with uh, Adam uh, on this, there's so much to promote because you go from this right to uh, all out and then you've got Grand Slam. That's three big shows in the course of just uh, a few weeks um, f from, you know, the, the wrestling students perspective. What do you think about that? Is it a good idea? It, you know, is it make complicate, make it complicated to focus on one thing when you've got so many big shows ahead of you? Well, what I do like about it is it, it puts you in an interesting situation and it gives you an interesting challenge because like you had said, traditionally, you have this one big show that you're building towards, and then you have a little bit of time to build to the next one. Instead, like you had said, we have three giant shows uh, within a month span of each other. Um, and instead of looking at it as like, a, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea, I think we look at it as like a very interesting challenge. It, I mean, especially because these shows are all lining up to be incredibly successful. I, I'm very, very confident in all three. I think it'll put everyone in an interesting situation, an interesting spot of no rest for the wicked as well. It's it's not when we're done with Wembley, we have a huge pay per view, and then obviously Grand Slam coming up after that. So it's going to be go 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 for AEW for this next month or so, and uh, I like it that way. I do. How are you feeling? You know, it wasn't that long ago that you were uh, on the shelf. Uh, you, you came back. I know some people talked about uh, the 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 uh, conditioning, the body not being where it was. I'm sure you've seen some of the pot shots taken on on social media. Um, are, are you feeling 100 percent, or are you going into some of these shows biggest match of, of your career less than 100 percent? I actually feel the best I have felt in years uh, going into this match, both physically and mentally. Um, again, it's the best I've felt for a very very long time. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I first came back and I first got cleared, I was so excited to be able to get back into the ring. And I remember thinking it was going to be like riding a bike. It was like, oh, I'll come back and do this first match and I'll feel like I did years ago. And, and it actually was very challenging for me um, where I, I was 
almost frustrated with myself at how difficult a lot of things had become. But then through training and staying on top of everything, again, now I feel like I'm in a situation, whether that be in the gym, in the ring, and then also mentally how I process the pressure and the excitement of being back into a wrestling ring. I feel I feel fantastic. I, I have never been more ready for such a giant show in my life, and I think everyone will be very impressed. And, and when you talk about conditioning and size, I mean, that's always been an issue with you. I mean, the, the first time I remember seeing you uh, was – uh, the the Super Eight. Did you win that Super Eight? I remember the the finals were you um, and Tommaso, and I was there. Tommaso with, won that one. Yeah, yeah. There was the um, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated gang, and we all went out to dinner that night someplace in in New Jersey. And I remember you hanging out. And uh, I'm very <laughs> you know far from a, a big guy. I'm I'm five six, and I remember looking and being like, oh, this guy's not. He's about my size. He's just a little bit bigger than me. Like I don't know how far he can make it on on this size. Um, so. How much of that challenge has it been uh, years, you know, people second-guessing you just because of, of your dimensions? And how good does it feel that you've come this far headlining the, the, the biggest uh, show paid attendance in history with these perceived limitations? No, no, yeah, it feels great. Um, and for me, honest to God, it's something I never even really thought about. It, it, it's just something that's always been a part of my life. I, I remember being in high school and telling people I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And I heard then that I'm not big enough to be a wrestler. Um, and it was just one of those things that I just never even thought of. I, I had my mind made up. I'm like, nope, I'm going to do this. It's the only thing that I want to do. I'm going to train as hard as I can. I'm going to study as much as I can. And I'm not going to let anything stand in my way. And um, there has been that continued um, perception from some people, which here's the thing, too. They are so right um, in that they can feel how they want to feel. Um, like there's no part of me that's upset when someone says, oh, um, he's too small to be a wrestler. Like everyone is entitled to their opinion and they can feel how they want to feel. But at the same time, I am going to pursue my dream and pursue my goal and get as far as I can regardless um, of, of what people think. So, yeah, that's, that's just part of the gig. Do you think in a way it's been a blessing in that, you know, has it created sort of a chip on your shoulder that's forced you to work harder? Um, I don't know if it's created a chip on my shoulder, but what it has done, it's made me very aware that I have to make sure that I am as good as humanly possible at everything that I can be. Like, it was a big reason I studied promos so much. I'm like, I don't know how far I'm going to be able to make it if I just, if I'm just a good wrestler. I want to also be able to be a good talker. Um, I want to be able to have good in-ring psychology. It just it forced me to be in a situation where I really had to hyper-focus on the art uh, of what we do. So I'm thankful for it. I'm, I'm definitely thankful for it. But there, there's seriously not a not a bitter bone or a chip on my shoulder uh, at all. I, I've had an absolutely amazing career that I'm very, very thankful for, and I'm not even close to being done. Yeah. Can you take me back to that, you know, making that decision to come over to AEW? You know, I, I remember at the time they were signing a lot of stars and there was some concern that you could be lost in the shuffle. Um, at the same time, you know, and, and you can talk about whether this was the case or not, the, the word in WWE was that, you know, you kind of did what you were going to do in NXT. They didn't see you as a wrestler on the main brand. There was talk of you being uh, a manager, and I imagine that wouldn't have been satisfactory to you. So, what was that decision? How much nerves were there in, in making that jump? 
Yeah, so um, in regards to the manager thing, um, that was something that I had never heard personally. Now, I'm not saying that that wasn't an idea that was pitched, but as far as me staying in WWE, the idea of me being a manager and cutting my hair was something that was never expressed to me. As, as far as why I made my decision to go to AEW, um, absolutely there are nerves. There are nerves anytime I think you switch companies uh, in that process. But for me, the decision was a very, very exciting one. A- aside from the fact that I got to uh, be on a show with a bunch of my friends and my girlfriend and travel with her more, Aside from the fact that every single week I would watch the shows, I absolutely loved the shows. I loved the crowd interaction. The other thing was I'd become incredibly passionate about Twitch streaming. Um, and at the time, WWE uh, was not wanting guys to, to stream on Twitch. So this was something that, again, has become and it still is very, very important to me. And I wanted to be able to continue doing it. And AEW was more than okay with, with me continuing to Twitch stream. So there were a bunch of different factors involved, but, but those are the main ones. Um, uh, if we're talking about AEW, I'd be remiss if I don't bring up CM Punk. I mean, he, he just draws so much attention for the better sometimes, um, for the worse. Can, can you talk about what, what if any relationship you, you have with him and what are your thoughts on him being part of the company? How important is he potentially for the success of AEW? Um, I've had a few interactions with him and he's, he's always been nothing but, but kind to me. Um, and yeah, obviously when, when he first came to AEW, it was a, it was a big deal for us and brought a lot of eyes and attention onto the company. So, uh, yeah, it, it, again, AEW has been, uh, on this crazy uphill swing for the past few years since I've arrived. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about some of the big matches you were in the past. Uh, I, I, I'd like to think I was at some of those, the, the summer slam matches or the weekend matches in, in Brooklyn, in, in New Orleans with Johnny. I gotta say, my favorite of the bunch was uh, Bridgeport, and uh, it was a little ferry ride for me. But but I remember from that trilogy, um, it to me the one that really jumped out. Maybe the forgotten one uh, of the bunch. What what are your memories of that match? How do you think it stacks up against some of the other works uh, that you had? Yeah, that one with um, you're talking about the one with Johnny. Yeah, uh, Gargano. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so that is I don't know about him. But as far as bell to bell, I actually think that was my favorite match of the series. Um, I I just felt like we, I I loved the story that we told and how we played off of the first one that we had. Again, the energy and the vibe for the two out of three falls in Brooklyn was absolutely unreal and and something that I will never, ever forget. Uh, I still to this day get people coming up to me and saying that that match um, either is their favorite or it got them back into pro wrestling, which is so cool. But uh, Bridgeport was such a special night. It was it was when I won the NXT championship for the first time. My family was there. Britt was there. And again, Johnny was one of my all-time favorite opponents, and, and I loved loved wrestling him. And that match itself, to me, again, bell to bell, I think that one was my favorite. Is is that uh, in terms of a series of matches? Do you think that's the best work that you've done? And is it the high water mark for you to kind of surpass? I, I certainly think it's it's one of the best series of matches that I've had as far as a trilogy goes. Right? You know, I look back on matches I've had with Kyle O'Reilly across multiple promotions that I'm that I'm really really proud of as well. Um, I had a couple series of matches with AJ Styles and Ring of Honor as well that I was really proud of. But but I do with, with as far as it encompassing everything, whether it be the the promos, the angles, the matches, 
that that series with Johnny is is certainly one of my all time favorites. And as far as looking forward, I I think that I I hold that one in a very very special place in my heart. But I also want every series of matches with with certain people to be different. So in, in some ways, I think I'm going to enjoy a series of matches in different ways more than the one with Johnny. And then in other ways, I'm sure I'll enjoy the one with Johnny more than than future ones. So just trying to keep everything different, fresh, and exciting. Yeah, I hear you. I'm I'm excited to see it all. Excited to uh, watch all in. Uh, Adam, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time here. Um, and best of luck. Thank you very much, my friends. Have a good one. You too. Take care.